Okay. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Miha Listen. I have Alyssa Barrera Lansford with us. Um, uh, welcome, Alyssa. Welcome to Miha Listen. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I'm excited to have you on here. I saw you on Instagram and I was just telling you I sent you like a, a probably a overly excited voice note because I was really busy with my kids and I didn't want to forget um, to message you or I didn't want to lose your profile. Uh, I was super excited to have you on because you're a BCBA. You're a first generation um, Tejana student here in San Antonio. And um, and you also are really open and transparent about being a late, um, getting diagnosed with ADHD late in, late in life, although you're not late in life. <laughs> Um, but I, I really like how open and, and honest you are um, about mental health and um, behavioral uh, BCBA and um, just everything you're talking about neurodiversity. And I think that's kind of a, a lost concept or not lost, but um, a new concept that our culture really hasn't embraced or understood or um, been educated on. So I'd love you for you to introduce yourself a little bit more. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and um and then talk about what uh what you do and what what you're why you're passionate about it yeah so my name's Alyssa. i am from san antonio my family's from corpus i am a first generation phd student i live in san antonio but my university is at the university of texas at austin so i drive to school twice a week so I can wow. hopefully get my PhD there. Um, besides from that, I'm also a behavior analyst and I am currently a graduate assistant for the University of Texas at Austin. Um, yeah, my passion. I feel like I tell the story a lot. Um, I was not wanting to be a behavior analyst at first. I didn't even know what it was. Um, most of my degrees were in exercise science. I was hoping to become a physical therapist um, but I got a, a part-time job at a Title I school. And here in San Antonio, I can't say what school it is because right. I had some little bit of a unethical stuff there that I saw. Mm. But some of those things that I would see being done with the PPCD classroom that I was in was not, to me, shouldn't have been done. And when I brought it to attention, um, to the school, nothing was really done. <laughs> and and so real quick, got... ex explain what PPCD is. Oh yeah, so PPCD, in short, is like just preschool for children with disabilities. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that school did not do anything, and I got really upset about it. I did not want to be a special education teacher because they they go through so much they don't get paid they enough do. either <laughs> they, i i could not i couldn't do it so i was looking at the time i was getting my masters at utsa in exercise science and so i was looking mm -hmm. at different programs at utsa that could possibly help bridge the gap for me okay. and i had found a applied behavior analysis certificate which is the field that i'm now in um, that certificate helped me understand a lot about not just autism, but many forms of mental illnesses and also um, just about humans in general and why we do the behaviors that we do. So mm. um, 
I did a lot of my learning there. I got my master's in exercise science in 2017. And then my amazing professor at the time, now mentor, Dr. Neely, um, she decided that she was going to make her own master's program. And so she told me about it. I applied. I got in. All my my courses transferred from the certificate to her program. <laughs> and I just continued on and I got the second master's. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I got lucky. <laughs> that, that was pretty... <laughs> like, if she wouldn't have made the master's um, degree program, I would have just stuck with the certificate. But mm -hmm. that, that woman's crazy. I don't know how she does it. But she did it. Um, during my time in the master's program, I worked in different settings. So I worked in the clinics. I worked in people's homes. I worked outside in the community. I worked in some hospitals. Um, and I got to see which parts I liked. So after I graduated, I took my exam. I became a board certified behavior analyst or some people, it's easier just to say behavior therapist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I started working for multiple companies just around here in San Antonio, um, working in people's homes. Most of my work was with marginalized communities. Um, so while a lot of my colleagues were working in clinics and usually the families will take their children to the clinics to do their therapy, mm -hmm. I was going into many different environments to try and do our therapy with the family. Um, this means that at times um, some of my families did not have too many hours. Mm -hmm. um, while the kids in the clinic would get maybe four hours a week, a lot of my clients maybe got one to two hours a week and sometimes it would even be one to two hours a month. So I had wow. to really, yeah, I had to figure out a lot. Um, the sad part is it just so happened to be that the majority of the people I would work with were Latino mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and the black community as well. So it kind of, it something just did not feel right. <laughs> I started, um, really taking note of all this and seeing some of the way that my supervisors or my colleagues would speak about some of the areas we were going to like these are mm -hmm. bad areas it's not bad those are people's homes yeah um, and I wanted to explore how my field is not currently making sure that we are having humility with people's cultures um, so Around this time, I also had my babies. I had my oldest in 2018, so I graduated wow. with her. I took her to all my meetings. Um, and then in 2020, I had my second baby <laughs> in COVID. Wow. COVID. Um, when I went back to work for my second, I worked in Pleasanton, Poteet, and Charlotte, Texas area. Okay, so the out yeah, the outskirts. Yeah, the outskirts. And Though San Antonio, we have a, a lot of lack of support in regards to education of what neurodiversity is, of what services are out there for families, especially for families who are already marginalized. It's mm -hmm. worse outside in the rural areas. I can't imagine, yeah. Yeah, so um, I was put into a lot of tough situations 
I love the clients I was working with. Um, I still try to keep in touch um, now. Mm -hmm. And just from the little bits that I saw while working there, I decided to pursue my PhD because I felt like something needed to be done more systemically. Yes. Um, we have tons of people that are amazing clinicians, but I don't, I didn't feel like we had too much of people, especially people like me, trying to change the systems. There's some disconnect between yeah. the medical field of like doctors and being diagnosed versus yes. where's all my services and support and what do I do with them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's currently totally, where I'm at. I, I commend you and I, I thank you for pursuing that connection because uh, I think most, most, most of my listeners know, but I don't know if everybody knows that my daughter, I have a, a five-year-old daughter and she is autistic. And so we are one of those families that um, we have therapy four or five times a week and you know we have a therapist coming into our home um for speech and for occupational therapy and when you say that some families only have one hour a month mm -hmm. i mean that's detrimental and and because i i think people don't realize that um consistency is so important for children with autism and i'll only speak for children with autism because that's all i've experienced but um one hour a month isn't going to do anything for them. Mm -mm. Uh, you know, maybe if there's a, a great connection in that, in that therapist really, um, finds a way to motivate them. Um, I highly doubt it in one hour a month, but, um, the consistency is so, so important. I mean, for, even for my daughter, it takes, uh, like four or five sessions before she can warm up to the therapist um, and then, you know, actually be able to sit and attend and sit and attend is one of those goals where, um, you know, you have, you, you're constantly building tiny little steps to take one stride. Mm -hmm. um, and so that I'm glad that you're, um, it made me very proud to see a Latina, uh, Tejana that, that is taking those steps or trying to connect that bridge, like you said, um, to change something systemically. Um, you, yeah, of course, and, and you, you were in school and had a baby <laughs> that is, <laughs> that alone is crazy. Um, you mentioned neurodiversity for those who don't know what neurodiversity is or that concept. Can you explain or talk a little bit about, um, what neurodiversity is? Yeah. So neurodiversity is literally just opposite of neurotypical. And so a neurotypical person is someone who can pretty much think do and survive in society the way that we were told that we should be able to. Um, someone who's neurodiverse or neurodivergent is the proper term, is someone who would be not be able to do these things and function within society the way that we were told to, but also um, we think differently, we feel things differently. So. It's just anybody who has a diagnosis that can kind of not really cause them to think differently, but make them feel and view and just be different from that neurotypical mm -hmm. societal one. Um, right. I say societal because there's a lot more information coming out now. And <laughs> um, we, if you think about it, most people who are neurodivergent are people who just think differently in general. <laughs> 
they away from the status quo. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and so there's, um, I would always tell my caregivers that society just wasn't made for people like me with ADHD or um, a child with autism. It was made mm-hmm. for someone who doesn't have any of those things. One day, maybe, but currently not. And that's pretty much what neurodiversity is. It's anybody who is different from society standards. Yeah, and I I feel like uh, now um, in this time, I think a lot more people are realizing it, um, realizing that they do think and process differently, and a lot of a lot of their behaviors or a lot of things that are um, assumed about them were just always kind of um, put on them, and they just maybe accepted or. Maybe they didn't believe it. I don't know, but just kind of chalked up a lot of their um, behaviors to, to whatever people said about them, and not um, realizing that it's it's their their minds, their brains that they think and process differently, and that's why they act differently, and they can't um, they literally cannot conform to uh, the way people want them to act, the way society wants them to act. Yeah. Um, exactly. Even myself. I mean, I'm I now with my child with my daughter that's you know autistic like um and my and I have a another daughter that's um one year older and she's she's not um autistic she's what, what we would call neurotypical um you know even as a child I, I just knowing those differences and seeing seeing the 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 difference in, in the way she processes um when I see her older sister having behaviors uh it it helps to widen your your mind and uh understand why we behave the way we behave um even for neurotypical children yeah yeah i agree um for a long time i always felt kind of different it just started clicking more so last or yeah two years ago but i actually tried to pursue something last summer and it took a while because i'm an adult but I, I, there's a lot of underrepresentation for Latinas, Latinos, mm-hmm. and even the Black community, and specifically autism and ADHD. But then there's overrepresentation for us in other categories like uh, speech language delays and um, for the Black community, emotional behavior disorders. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really just interesting to see. It's not really. It's actually really sad where we've been placed in specific mental health categories and will not have been placed based off like who we are right our, even sometimes even our cultural behaviors can be seen as something very different and so because it's so different oh this is not right this goes here yes yeah. um so adhd is something that you talked about on your um social media that you were late diagnosed. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how, what kind of led you to how you discovered that within yourself? Um, well, so I think it's important to kind of share like my origin story of my baby, like when I was a child. (laughs) So when I was in elementary school here in San Antonio, um, I had spoken Spanish very well. And I also had a little bit of like a, to them, I, they said I had a speech issue because mm-hmm. of the way I would word things, it sounded off to them. Mm. Um, so I was put into speech therapy and um, 
really had to focus on not saying words a specific way. So pretty much it was like I had an accent. When I said right. three and I knew that that word was three, it was, I would come out as three or tree. But I also got made fun of by uh, teachers and stuff like that. So it's like mm. very embedded in my mind. <laughs> but um, during these times, and I clearly remember a lot of stuff that was said about me at the time, like she's not saying things correctly. She has an accent. Um, she's not raising her hand. She speaks out of turn, you know, just stuff like that. My parents saw that as someone who was just being Nessia or like, I'm just mm. uh, outspoken, stuff like that. But my teachers, they did not see it the same way. When I was in um, first grade, I remember I had a, a reading teacher no, she's the same teacher, but we were focusing on reading. And she had told me that I am not very good at reading and she wanted to hold me back. And I needed to be in special education services um, because of the way when I read out loud, it didn't sound good enough for her. Oh and goodness. so I remember being in my my uh, house on Marbot and um, my dad was like, no, it's because it's, it's because she's brown. Like they're just doing this because she's brown. And so my mom took me out and put me at the, at the time it was like Bear County Charter School. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I went to charter school for a little bit and I didn't get called those words anymore. So I, it was just normal, but I was more so with my community. That, yeah. that charter school is very much <laughs> Latino based. Um, once I got into, I, my mom took me out, we had moved to the far west side, San Antonio, um, and I went to a different elementary school and I still wasn't getting those words told to me no more. So, um, by the time I got into middle school is when I feel like I got under, I I got missed. Someone missed me because mm. I was in detention. I was in ISS. I mean, yes, I had my emo stage going on, but you know, there was a lot of stuff. I I just couldn't sit still. Um, my mind, I would focus really well with certain topics, and I loved to learn. But mm-hmm. if you had me reading like Shakespeare or something like that, I'm not into that. So I would have a hard time concentrating. And at the same time this is going on, my mind was like um, speaking to mm. me, but like I'm thinking about other things at the same time. Yes. Um, so that's where I feel like I got missed. Middle school was definitely like, oh, someone, <laughs> she something's up, we might need to diagnose her. And I wish someone could have seen that because I would have loved to have had supports. Because mm. once I got into high school, there was times, um, and I tell my mom this, I don't know, she's such a good mom. Cause <laughs> there was yeah, kudos to your mom for pulling you out, yeah. but I mean, to recognizing well, recognizing and seeing that the teacher was insane and, and clearly having prejudice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love my mom. Um, in high school, I barely went to class. I had to do attendance retrieval in order to graduate, <laughs> but... I just couldn't do it. I couldn't sit in class. I would go to the classes that I was interested in. And I yeah. still passed my tax test. And I didn't even, like, I didn't study. I didn't do anything. I just passed the tax test. Um, yeah. But I couldn't 
be there. And so if I felt like if I could go back in time, I kind of wish someone would have diagnosed me just so I could have had maybe some more understanding, if any mm. understanding, right? But at least some understanding and maybe some supports during that time because it was a hard time in my yeah. in my life. But um, once I got into college, I mean, in college, you're taking classes that you're interested in, right? So everything that I've done up to this point has been because I'm interested in it. And I excel at it because I'm interested in it. Um, I feel like even as a researcher, right, you have to be able to come up with different questions, different scenarios of to why people do the things that we do. Um, you need to be able to think out the box. And so they mm -hmm. want you to think differently versus when oh, you're growing up, they don't want you to think differently. They want you to yeah. just do. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's funny because now I'm excelling really well. I mean, there's times I procrastinate and I forget so much and I hate that, that I do that, but I'm aware enough now to know it's because I have ADHD and these are yes. some tools to help me while I'm in PhD program. That's something that um, I like that you said that you're aware enough now to know because I feel like a lot of people are undiagnosed um, because they don't, they aren't aware of themselves. Um, and that always, um, that's something that always interests me is I can see people that <laughs> struggle with certain things. And to me, it's, it's, um, you know, very clear or very, you know, and I'm not a doctor at all, but um, to me, it's obvious that they're on the spectrum or that they have um, ADHD tendencies or things like that. And I, and I always question whether or not they're aware of it or if, like you said, you know, a teacher would just tell you things or these words would stick in your head and, or if they, it was maybe a, a, a sore point for them because people always point those things out and so they just kind of ignore it. Um, but it, it always, I, and with, especially with my daughter, um, you know, I, I do wonder whether or not she, she's aware that she's different from other children. Um, and she's nonverbal, so I, and she can't really tell me, but, uh, I do question that and wonder that. And so you, you became aware that you were, that you were different and how did you pursue a, did you pursue a, like a, a diagnosis or is this something that you've accepted for yourself and, and worked on? But we don't talk about this stuff, right? Especially in our community, it's not talked about. No. Um, so I remember I had a Sophia who she had depression, <laughs> mm. and she got um, talked pretty bad about because oh, why are you depressed? You can just make yourself not depressed, right? Just in your mind. Yeah. Um, and so stuff like that during that growing up just kind of like kept the stigma going but within my own mind and so there was time because I also have generalized anxiety disorder and I got that diagnosis earlier <laughs> so okay. in college um, I thought I could just like it'll be fine like it'll go away whenever um, but once I got that diagnosis you were able to learn about that diagnosis enough to know okay maybe um, I need to do some mindfulness, some cognitive behavior therapy, and get to the reason why, why am I so anxious right now? Um, for the ADHD, 
I, I honestly think having my babies made it a little bit more um, noticeable. Um, I know I've talked to other moms, um, especially the, the colleagues that I have, they're all in counseling LSSP and different stuff. They'll send me articles about how ADHD can sometimes be brought out by trauma. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I often wonder if maybe some of these, I, I'm able to notice ADHD now because I had my children and my last childbirth was very traumatic. Um, so regardless though, I was aware of my ADHD in 2020 when I could not, I, I just couldn't remember. I would constantly say sorry. I would be running around the house and I just forget and I just had it and I'll try so hard to remember but I couldn't like remember yeah um, it's gone better I write most of my stuff down in my notes on the phone or I'll just try write down wherever I can at the moment but in 2021 when I got into my PhD program I already felt like I, I wasn't supposed to be there um mm. There's only me and another girl who are lucky in our program, and everybody else is uh, either East Asian or white. So I really felt like an outsider. <laughs> yeah. But compared to my colleagues who were like on top of it, on mm. going, even the ones who had children too, they were on it. I was like barely surviving. <laughs> it's not. I I kept. I would come home crying because I felt like it wasn't fair. Like, what's wrong with me? Why yeah. can't I do that? Um, and so I read, uh, watched TikTok videos, and there is some ADHD checklist on Google that you can do just to see, and you can give it to your psychiatrist if you can find an adult psychiatrist, and they'll, you know, use it as a way to help guide them for your mm -hmm. diagnosis. Um, and I did all that. And it kept coming up as an inattentive type, an attentive type, and a little bit of the hyperactive. Okay. So, um, it took a while. Granted, I do have insurance. I'm privileged with that. So some people don't have that privilege. Right. But it still, even with the insurance, took me a while to find someone who would take me as an adult and mm. attempt to diagnose me. I went to Grace Psychiatrics in New something, <laughs> 151 in San Antonio, and they were able to diagnose me. It was a long interview, but <laughs> they, they diagnosed me, and then um, the lady told me that she thinks I've had ADHD my whole life. Wow. Yeah. And did that kind of validate anything for you? It validated it also made me really sad though because like those experiences that you have with other people mm -hmm. like, you can go back and you feel like like something just either they weren't understanding me or like maybe i'm just different at the time that yeah. you think and but now you know that yes you, you were just different and that's okay yeah. but it would have been nice to have known instead of overthinking all that Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, um, thank you for sharing, for sharing all of that. I, I think for definitely myself, um, 
I have been at the point before where I I ask, like you said, you come home and you'll say, why, why can't I get this? Or why can't I, um, you know, why is it so hard for me? Um, I've gotten to a point where I've asked, you know, I, I ask myself that quite often now. I'm like, why, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my brain? Or why don't I think a certain way? Um, and so now I'm starting to explore or wonder or question trying to educate myself a little bit about like executive function um but i mean i'm just at the beginning of that but i I can't imagine how many people how many women how many latina people how many people in our community have felt that way their whole life you know and just kind of question like see other people excelling at things things that are normal things that are you know um day-to-day things even and just kind of question like, why do I struggle with this so much? Or why do I forget all of these things? Or why do I, you know, stuff like that. And, and even going back to you, you know, you're saying you would have, uh, how you felt skipped or overlooked in middle school. Um, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a systemic problem, right? Because, you know, the te- the teachers that are, that we have, um, they're teachers, they're not mental health advocates they're not trained in any of that they're not required to be trained in any of that to recognize that to to be able to see a student struggling with something and and you know make a suggestion to a parent or there's no system in place in in, within a school to to get them diagnosed or to get them um any type of mental health help Mm -hmm. and um so i think now um and i especially after motherhood as well, I, I realize a lot of things about my brain and it's like, oh, it's, it's, um, what do they call it? Mommy brain or, you know, the fog that comes after during pregnancy and afterwards, it's not, it hasn't faded. It's, <laughs> you know, you only, you only just learn how to cope with it a little bit better. But, uh, I mean, it, it, it goes away a little bit, but it's, you feel like you're just kind of stuck there. I think for, for me, motherhood, um, changed quite a bit for myself as well. I, I, um, I had a traumatic first pregnancy uh, or birth. Um, and you said that as well. And um, after both my pregnancies, I, I feel um, I, I feel like my mind opened up and I can see things uh, about myself um, and especially about my mental health a lot, uh, a lot more clear. I can recognize things and realize. Uh, and you, like you said, it's a little bit sad. Like I realized that I. I struggled with these things my whole life and not until I was responsible for other humans um I I realized just like oh this is something yeah Mm -hmm. so I um I really like that that uh on your social media you're open and honest about those things and and you said you um I think you said mindfulness you try to practice mindfulness um -hmm. what does that look like or what do those steps look like for you so in my in the field of applied behavior analysis, I think it's a great thing that I'm a behavior analyst while going through all this, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, it helps me pinpoint things a little bit easier, but um, we also have something that therapists can become fluent in is acceptance and commitment therapy. And a lot of, especially now on Instagram, the ABA community on Instagram is very much about acceptance and commitment therapy. So I highly recommend finding a therapist who has tried and taken some of those courses because it helps with the mental health aspect of things versus the 
the um, autism and the ADHD OCD and so on but regardless mindfulness is pretty much for me looks like I have a rock a small little rock and while I'm in a state of anxiety or if I'm in sitting in class for three hours in a bright lit room and I just can't do it <laughs> I will have this rock and if I'm anxious I'll move it around in my hand and start thinking about the rock like the rock is red the rock has the word courage on it the rock is smooth and so pretty much you're just trying to get your mind away from what's making you anxious onto something else mm-hmm. refocusing so, and with the when I'm in class and I can't just sit still I'll use it to fidget so I'll just keep moving it and even though I'm paying attention to my professors I'm mm-hmm. also fidgeting but it kind of helps me to to sit still and it makes it more manageable for me because those bright lights I can't but um, pretty much that's what it looks like for me I will use different um, it doesn't have to always be a rock um, it could be a squish one of those mm-hmm. toys. I've used it when I got my tattoo recently um, I was telling my tattoo artist because he was confused like I was able to sit in a six hour session oh wow played. <laughs> um and it was all because I would let this arm be nice and not tense, just loose, mm-hmm. while holding and putting pressure in the other arm. And so you're alternating everything to the other mm-hmm. side. Your your brain, you're kind of like tricking your brain into yeah. getting away from the painful or the anxious or the um, whatever is making someone uncomfortable at the moment. You're transferring it to something else. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I a lot for me a lot of sense because I I see where my daughter you know uses things like that and pressure um, and I'm learning about that and I realize too now that I I do those things um, kind of subconsciously as well and I think everybody does you know people don't always. Um, uh, stimming is something that I think everybody does and and I mean obviously children or people who are autistic do it more so um, um, do it more often and subconsciously I mean everybody does it subconsciously but everybody stims and I think you know when people kind of like put pressure on things or they mess with their fingers or tap their legs all of that is stimming and it's just a way of of dealing with you know things that are happening outside of your body yeah yeah and so in order for us to kind of be able to use those coping skills we have to be mindful right we have to be aware Mm -hmm. um once we're aware then we can put the coping skills together and so pretty much that's all mindful is mindfulness is is, um you would put an intervention in place to help you be aware of this anxiety that I have or this um, like I'm fidgeting my leg more than usual is because of XYZ and so once you can figure out what that is then you can put those interventions in place so just being aware and and mindful of Mm -hmm. um... so like with my clients right I can give those examples (laughs) I worked with a lot of adolescents and adults so 
mindfulness was necessary for our sessions. <laughs> if I had a client who was anxious about going to school and they have like high separation from their parents, um, my therapy session would look like me when I get to their house, we would talk about it first. I would be writing it down as much as I could and um, what I was taught to do. And then I would pinpoint, well, do you think it was this? How do you feel about that? What do you about this? Okay, so you, it's definitely once you get into school is when you start feeling this way. Okay, cool. What can we do to help you not feel either that much or mm -hmm. to put it for later? You know? Um, it's okay to feel that way and I, I always tell my clients it's okay we all feel this way and it's okay to feel this way but you don't want to feel this way so what can we do in place of that right for me it's a right. rock I'll use the rock um, for some of my clients it was um, they needed to go walk for a little bit around the school so I had some clients who their accommodation was um, when asked they would go walk around the school with like the paraprofessional. Mm -hmm. um, of course, that doesn't work with all of the clients. It just works with that right. specific one because some clients will take advantage of that. <laughs> but um, that's just a small example of yeah. how that could look like for one of my clients. So just kind of finding um, what being aware and and figuring out what your triggers are and then finding a coping mechanism or, or something that can help you um, move past it or move through it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I saw on your social media, you're now offering services through Mindful Behavior. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and the services you're offering? Mindful Behavior in Action is a group of neurodivergents we're all um, either some of us are advocates there are some autistic advocates and then there are also some bcbas who are autistic um, you also have bcbas who are like me have adhd and then of course a lot of us have co-occurring diagnoses <laughs> mm -hmm. like for instance i have anxiety and adhd um so the whole company is made up of a bunch of just different neurodivergent people from different various backgrounds um with all our own experiences. For me specifically, the services I offer are the case consultation for parents, for families. Um, I also do mentoring in case someone who is a behavior therapist or wanting to be a behavior therapist or even a registered behavior technician is looking for a mentor who is of their community or just is looking for someone different who might understand from an acceptance and commitment therapy lens or cultural lens, um, I offer those services to them. I I personally didn't have a mentor. I, I wish I had a, another mentor while I was growing up in my career who understood me a little bit more um, and my culture. So mm. I would try to make sure to offer that to as much people as, as I can, even this through talking on DMs through Instagram. Um, I also do supervision services for those who are becoming board certified behavior analysts. And um, I think that's it. I always forget the last one. I can't remember the last service. I, I saw <laughs> and what I was uh, 
excited to see was um, caregiver coaching because that's not something that yes. I had seen yes. ever. Um, so, and you know, yeah, the caregiver stuff. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, that I definitely do that. When I was right now, I'm currently on hold for my BCBA job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I am no as I think I kind of mentioned. I'm not going around Pleasanton, Poteet, and San Antonio, and I'm doing therapy sessions right now because it's really hard to do both <laughs> school and that. But yeah. um, most, the majority of my job, those one hour a month sessions, mm -hmm. I had to really think what's the most important step that's going to be mm -hmm. most helpful to the family. And I feel like it's educating the caregivers. Absolutely. So if I, if I can educate the caregivers, regardless if it's on the interventions that we're doing or helping them to advocate for themselves, what to look out for in the schools, what services are out there in San Antonio, because there's a lot of services out here in San Antonio. Just so I don't think they get advertised very well. Yeah. Um, what type of insurance and scholarships are out there. Um, that is what I was doing before I, I quit my job. So I also, yes, I also do caregiver coaching. Um, I really enjoy caregiver coaching. So if anybody's looking for that, please let me know. Yeah, I will definitely share some links and, and resources. I thought that was absolutely amazing because, um, you know, like I said, we have, we do have therapists coming to our home um, pretty much almost every day <laughs> after school. Um, one of our, one of my daughter's therapists who's no longer her therapist just because her, her schedule changed. So we had to, you know, we had to find someone new, but we're still in touch and she has been amazing. And so while she was here in our home and even after now, um, I feel like I have learned so much from her, um, and I don't know if she was intentional in, in, in her teaching me things, but she was just very educational forward, just wanting to educate the parents as well, because, you know, the one or two hours they're there every week, every month, whatever, you know, frequency it is, it's not enough. And so if you educate the caregiver or the parent, the person who spends the most time with the child, um, you know, then that's more effective. And uh, I think as caregivers, we don't always um, seek out that education or don't know that that it's there for us. We just kind of carry on and, you know, and I'll speak, speak, speak for myself. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of moms who seek out education, but um, in our community, in the Latino community, I, I feel like maybe we just kind of accept, okay, this is the next step. This is what we do. We go through the therapy. We go through this. We do this. Um, but we're not really moving forward with our own mindful growth um, to help us and to help our child. Um, and just because that's not something that was ever taught to us, you know, we, we just kind of go with the flow. We go through the system, we go through the steps. We, we just do what we're told. Um, and, and we're not always in the mindset where we can feel acknowledged or feel, um, permission to, to learn more, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So when yeah. I saw when I saw the caregiver coaching, I was like, "Oh, that is so awesome." Yeah, and um, when I was working, I actually uh, had a heart a really hard case, and I had asked an autistic consultant to help me out with the case because I am not autistic, um, and they gave me a lot of insight that I would have not have ever had 
because I am not autistic. And so the insight that they gave me made a lot of sense. And I was able to change my intervention around to help the family mm. and also explain to the family why this was occurring from someone who also has similar experiences and behaviors. So um, I do, I know that they have autistic advocates and autistic coaches as well. So if anybody's looking for that, it's on their website as well. Awesome. I will, I'll definitely share that. Um, so before we, we uh, end our, our session here, um, for any, for any Latina or anybody, adults, um, people who maybe have felt uh, connected or experienced anything that we've talked about here today, and maybe you're wondering whether or not they have ADHD or anything else, um, what recommendations or, or what, what advice or what would you tell them and give them next steps to take? if they felt like anything here resonated with them? I think the first step to take would be to really sit with it and like think back to different experiences and really dive deep into those experiences on why you felt that way. And then mm -hmm. <laughs> go on to what you had Googled and all the information that's out there and see if they relate. And if they relate, okay, that's that's definitely something, right? Mm -hmm. Then definitely um, you can go on TikTok, you can go on Instagram, and you can read a lot of people who are sharing their experiences. And if you're experiencing something similar, maybe then you should try to see if you can get a diagnosis. But I, I do want to make it a point to say that because we're adults and there's not many adult diagnosticians out there. Um, and of course, not all insurances will cover it. Mm -hmm. You do not need to have an official diagnosis to ha have ADHD or autism Absolutely. or OCD or anything, any neurodivergent divergence. Um, so if you are someone who does not have insurance, you can go on Google and you can actually put in ADHD checklist and there should come up with some very um, research evidence-based checklists that you can do for yourself. And then it'll pinpoint which category because ADHD specifically has their own categories of mm -hmm. where you fall on the spectrum. Um, for autism, I, I would highly recommend going to Neuroclastic. It's N-E-U-R-O-C-L-A-S-T-I-C, web, their website. And okay. um, they have tons of information on that. And they can, it, you can also probably reach out to someone from their community, the autistic community, and see, you know, just see their experiences. And maybe this is something you relate with, they can help you guide better. Because I say that because I'm not autistic, so I know it's a different process. It is harder to mm -hmm. diagnose someone with autism. Um, especially in the medical realm um for adhd i i can say more because i experienced it and so right. if you are looking for a diagnosis here you have insurance um you can go to the health science center you can go to that grace's psychiatrics that i went to on 151 and rogers road <laughs> um and if you don't like going into offices the grace's ones they do telehealth appointments so okay. um those are the only two that I know that have reached out back to me when I was mm -hmm. going through my stuff. So I don't know if there's anybody else 
but once all that's said and done and let you do get diagnosed or you feel like this is your diagnosis really sit mm -hmm. with that and know that it's okay to feel sad yeah yeah mm -hmm. that's you. pretty thank much for, <laughs> yeah thank you for sharing i i like that you made it a point to say um you don't have to get an official diagnosis you know yourself you know your mind you know your past you know your triggers and if you are identifying with you know symptoms of something and you know you know that that's what you what you are what you have um i don't think um i don't always think that a, an official diagnosis is necessary unless it's something that you need to um to pursue you know medication or things like that but um and then if that's what you need definitely pursue it but uh i think the internet has been amazing and mm -hmm. and the our community is starting to open and um and and talk about it more because like you said when we were growing up it, it's not something that you talk about it's you know like you said you know you had a thea that was depressed or that you know you were a little different and everybody just kind of just no one says anything they just ignore it they just keep going mm -hmm. they tell you you don't have a reason to feel sad or you don't have a reason you know why don't you do this or um they'll write you off as a um nesia or something because you don't listen and it's like i got told that a lot growing up so <laughs> yeah i'm really i'm very with my daughter i'm very um you know some of the older family members are, uh, I'm very, I'm very particular about that word because, um, yeah, kids can be messy up, but, um, my daughter, she's, you know, it's not intentional. Mm -hmm. And, and I feel like that's something in our community that, um, you know, we just label kids or people a certain way. And a lot of times there's underlying behaviors that they need help. And like you said, you felt like you, you were overlooked or you were, you were missed. Um, and I feel like that happened, that happened, still happens a lot in our community. Um, and so, you know, thankful, thankful to the internet that, um, that all, you know, all of this is, is, uh, becoming more open and people are feeling more comfortable to share their stories. So thank you for sharing your story with us today. And, um, I'll definitely make sure that I link, uh, all the resources that we talked about today. Um, on the website and, and in the show description. So thank you, Alyssa. Thank you for, for joining us. And I hope you have a wonderful yeah. week. And um, you're you. welcome back anytime you want to any <laughs> chime in on any anything that we talk about. But thank you for, for having this conversation with me. I appreciate it and for being honest and, and open and, and vulnerable. Yeah, keep in touch. Let me know if you need anything. Okay, thank you, Alyssa. That's <laughs> it for today, guys. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode for you. Until then, make sure you subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us at Miha Listen Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And as always, you can check out MihaListen.com for all the podcast info and our merch as well so that you can represent our cultura anytime you want to feel like the strong, badass mujer that you are. Make it a great week. Y si quiere hablar conmigo, don't be shy. Send me a DM or reach out to the website. Bye.